Didn't know you like to get wet, though. What's wet? Butt naked. Ill. Turn. Dust. BCB. Primos. P-Dog. That's what you had. That's what you were smoking. You couldn't taste it. <laughs> Maybe you can hum the theme song Won't hold it against you if you get parts wrong While the memory's not too strong There's a piece of you from a time long gone So while these fuzzy warm feelings remain question we ask is still the same Is the treasure or just plain lame? Is this still good? Hello and welcome back to Is This Still Good? The only podcast uh, officially endorsed by the LAPD. I'm your host, Sage Pilderback. I'm your other host, Gavin. And with us today, we have a guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Ed Gonzalez Moreno, and I, I'm, I'm the guest. <laughs> Welcome. Flawless introduction. Thank what you did so you, much for being here. Yeah, What did you bring me. for us today? What I brought. Uh, so, I mean, I, nothing physical, but I, I guess I, I brought the... Uh... <laughs> what gifts did you bring to us? To bribe uh, your offerings. way onto this very popular podcast. <laughs> I, I I just brought the love of training day. Um, I guess. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that's about as good an introduction. I brought training day. Yeah. <laughs> why? I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. What's this? Uh, why did I bring training day? So, um, so uh, I'm not just a guest on this podcast. I'm actually an actor. Uh, I'm an actor in the Bay Area and Los Angeles. I have management down in Los Angeles. Uh, shout out creative artists and shout out Marla Dell Talent up here. I'm a theater actor. I'm a film actor. And the whole reason, I think, um, or at least um, this is, I feel like, the turning point in my life where I was just like, I want to do that. Is when I saw Training Day. I didn't see it in movie theaters. I, I, uh, my mom, when, where we grew up, she used to have this huge rack of DVDs, as you did in the early 2000s, because you couldn't stream anything because that wasn't a thing yet. Um, and so your collection had to be physical. And we had this huge, like, five rack case of, like, movies. And the one movie that, that caught me off guard one day, I don't, I don't know why. I was just watching movies because, um, I grew up in a really tough neighborhood and my mom didn't want me to be outside that often, uh, just cause it was, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty rough. Um, and so I would just watch movies all day, like, especially on the weekends or like I would watch TV and like, uh, when I, when TV was boring the fuck out of me, I, um, I, I went to the DVD rack and I would pull out a movie and there was a bunch of cool movies there. I mean, I remember I saw Once Upon a Time in Mexico, um, which I believe that's the Antonio Banderas one, which is also yep. a really good movie. Um, I saw the trilogy of that. I think that I think it's a trilogy. Yeah, because Johnny Depp is in the third one, I believe. Yeah, but Mariachi, yes. Desperado, yeah. Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Those were so such fucking good movies. But we're not here about them. We're here about Training Day. <laughs> I mean, we could be. And I remember I picked up Training Day one day. It just looked like a really interesting uh, concept, right? I mean, you just read the back because, like, again, it was a physical fucking DVD, and so you read the back and you got the concept. And I was like, I'll put it on. And I just remember, like, in the first scene, I, I watched it yesterday to just to try and like just to make sure that I had it fresh in my mind, even though I, I'm, I, I still do. Um, I quote the fucking movie all the time. I'm sorry, I cuss a lot, so if you need to edit that out. Um, <laughs> it's, it's no, you're in the right place. You're going to get a lot of fucks today. Um, but I remember putting it on, and in the first scene that Denzel was in, I mean, the the, 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 the start of the movie is pretty slow. You know, you get you get introduced to Ethan Hawke, and you know he has, a, he has a wife, he has a kid, it's his first day on the job. But as soon as you just get 
just the first glimpse of Denzel in that restaurant, just reading the paper and the first few lines. And he's like, can I, can I, can I just read my paper? And then Ethan Hawke keeps talking. And he's just like, tell me a story. And he's like, what? And he's just like, you won't let me read my fucking paper. So you tell me a story. Entertain me. Uh, he's like, look at this paper. It's 90% bullshit, but it entertains me. But you won't let me read my paper. So you tell me a story to entertain me. Something like that. Something along those lines. And I was just, I was just hooked. I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And, just the rest of the movie is just a wild ride. And obviously, you know, there's a huge peak. You know, King Kong ain't got shit on me, which is like this, this, this yeah, pop culture. It goes culture. from one quote to, to the next. Yeah, from, from the beginning to the end. That's the whole movie right there. Just those two scenes. But um, it's just, it's, I mean, that's, that's like, that's cemented in pop culture history, right? Everyone says that all the time. And some people don't even know where it's from. It's kind of like the Godfather quote. Uh, I'm going to make, make him an, an offer he can't refuse. That, that quote, you know, people say that and sometimes you forget where it's from because it's so iconic. Yeah. And I feel like it's the yeah, same well, I mean, thing it's with... not even in the script for this movie. Oh, really? Yeah, no, that's uh, this is a very focused script from pretty much one guy. But Denzel Washington rubs his hands all through it. I love it. Uh, so you get moments like that. You get very clearly improv stuff before we get into how Denzel kind of controls every moment that he's on screen in this movie. It is just id control yeah. through all the filmic language all the dialogue where geographically are you while you're while you're telling the story when you see training day uh, when i saw it initially or or yeah you took, oh when i saw it initially yeah no saw, not right at this moment i, I was like oh I'm, I'm in the bay area um i saw it so i grew up in this uh, i grew up in hartford county in connecticut um in this in the small city right right outside of hartford which is the capital of connecticut um, I mean, I guess a, an equivalent would be like, you know, Oakland and San Francisco. I grew up in the projects, so I was watching it. I was just like this young little boy. I think I was maybe, when I first saw the movie, I was like nine. So I was, I was like nine or ten years old. And so I was like in the living room, on the couch, just watching this on, we, you know, you know, those big screen TVs, like before they were flat screen, there was like this fucking huge, like system yeah. that, like a fucking castle in there. But I, I was watching it on that. So I like, I had like the cinematic experience, um, for it. Um, so that's where I was, Hartford, Connecticut about 2003 and had you seen any denzel washington movies before this did you know who that was I, I can't say this for sure but maybe i had seen remember the titans um hell yeah but it was around that same time but i i think i think that was the first time i ever saw denzel washington because i remember i only referred to him as alonzo because like you know you, you see <laughs> you see the name but like you know when, when you're in the movie it's, it's alonzo right and and also he's just so good we're just like that, that's fucking alonzo Right. I, I don't. Right. I think, I I think that was the first Denzel. You used to call him Malcolm. Yeah. That that movie came out the year I was born, which is crazy. Malcolm X. That is that is crazy because I watched it pretty recently. Like it does not feel like it was made. You know, twenty five, ninety three. However many years ago that was. No. Yeah. It it was ahead of its time. I feel like especially because of the length of it, it was almost like the Irishman of its time because you know everyone's like the Irishman is fucking long, but you're just like it. But that's like how cinema used to be where you would take your time it wouldn't be like this 60 to 90 minute like fuck fest of just explosions and superheroes <laughs> yeah you really have to live with a character for their entire life it's definitely a biopic and, yeah uh, really fulfills that to a t yeah it's something that would be a mini series if it came out today yeah like oh for aside sure aside from the irish yeah. film like we haven't had a movie like that in a very long time and i'm not making direct comparisons past the part that it's like no it's that three it's and a half hours yeah. of sitting with a character yeah, right. there, there aren't much comparisons to make outside of that. They're basically the same story, Ed. Lawrence of Arabia, I guess, might as well. <laughs> I've never seen Lawrence of Arabia. It's yeah, surprisingly, awesome. surprisingly entertaining for a three three and change hour movie. 
That's a uh, that's that's with uh, Alec Guinness, right? Or is it? Uh, I, he's in it. Isn't I think he? so. He's not but the yeah. lead though. It's um. Uh, somebody big Peter Peter somebody Peter Fonda is that right? No. Peter O'Toole. Maybe that sounds <laughs> all right. This seems like a thing we'll figure out later. Yeah. I only I only uh, know that because of a Star Wars documentary I was watching where it just happened. I don't know. They were just talking about it. It's a random fact. Is that one of the ones where Al Guinness says he doesn't understand the script of the silly space magic movie Absolutely. he's in? Absolutely. And he's it's like great. writing letters home every day, just complaining about George Lucas. <laughs> just, I get that. I totally, <laughs> that makes so much sense. I would watch a documentary called What's Up With Lucas? Yeah. It's it's great to like have watched that and seen all the bullshit happening and like how the crew was laughing at like, you know, all the stunts. And then it turned out to be this fucking phenom and you're just like wow like i don't know it, it just gives you hope like if you're ever on set and you're like this is a real piece of shit there's a good chance it might be a, a phenom i don't know maybe yeah no i've heard I mean, more and more that like you there's just no you don't know until the movie's out like yeah. nothing about the vibe on set has like it's not a clue yeah uh being given to you about whether or not this film's gonna work or not mm-hmm. yeah i mean we've all had so those shocking. experiences <laughs> working on set right yeah. Oh, where yeah. it's coming out. I mean, I've had it reverse too. I've had experiences that I thought like this movie's gonna be like a lot better than anyone thinks, and that I watch it, I'm like, oh no, I was I was wrong. Yeah, I, I definitely had that with an indie I did, and this is not to knock them because they've had a lot of success, but it turned out to be a little bit more like corny, corny for lack of a better sure, term, yeah. corny. It was like very like PG. And I was just, but on set, like, it was the greatest time. I was like, oh, this is going to be an incredible movie. It's actually on Netflix now. Um, and, like, again, much love to everyone there. But, like, watching it, I was like, oh, that's not what I was expecting. And it's not my cup of tea, but it's done, it's done okay. Yeah. Right. Which, you know, speaking of PG-ness, I could see where maybe you might have seen Remember the Titans before you saw Training Day. Oh, fuck uh, yeah. yeah. Probably was the same for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely one though. of the earliest memories I have of Denzel. I probably watched that in theaters at like nine or something. Yeah. Like, well, Sage, do you remember the first time that you saw Training Day? I don't have a really clear memory. I remember it certainly wasn't as it came out. It's not a type of movie I would have been allowed to watch it at 12, but I'm sure I <laughs> saw it out in same, high school. Same. Um, I know I've seen it at least twice, probably three times before I did a rewatch yesterday. Um I would, and it's, yeah, no, I mean, it feels, it feels much different watching the movie now. I mean, it is a movie about police in LA and I live in LA and we are having like a much different national conversation about police. I'm sure we'll get into some of that during this podcast, although it's really hard to figure out what to say in that regards. Well, I mean, I, I, I say, why not jump into it just for a little bit? We can always jump around. Um, there's, sure, let's start off hot. <laughs> this is the story of Alonzo training uh, Ethan Hawke, I believe mm-hmm. is the character's name, <laughs> <laughs> who's a, a rookie cop with, you know, a real strong sense of justice and jumps out the car to tackle two guys assaulting a young woman in a dumpster. Yeah. And... We get to watch like this brutal fight that he's just kind of sits back. He pulls out a cigarette, smokes yeah. it, enjoys, and then says, "Noticed you did that chokehold." <laughs> uh, I don't. I, do they? T- I don't think that's. Um, I thought that was a no-no. <laughs> and he he's like, you know, I was getting my ass kicked. I did what I had to do. He's like, yeah, yeah you did. Rule the streets. 
yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, man, that's really diff. That land, that line's really different today. Uh, <laughs> so, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of street rules over cop rules in this movie. It just seems in general. Yeah, I um, I I can. So it, it's it's interesting because I can. I, I see, and I think that's that's how you paint a really good villain, right? I think one of the rules of of acting is that, especially like when you're playing a character, that character, it's not he's not a villain to you, or she's not a villain to you. They're not a villain to you, right? You have to justify all of their actions, even if it's the most heinous, you know, actions you can possibly take, which Alonzo does. I mean, he's the whole movie. He's like trying to set up, you know, getting money to pay off a debt because he killed some fucking mob tied Russian. But I'm sure like through his process, he was justifying his actions like, no, I have to do this. And he was also justifying his street tactics like I have to do this. And I can relate to that because you are convinced that you're supposed to do this. And also, I mean, they're dealing with some of the roughest people on the street we're talking about drug deals and i just i actually just finished watching end of watch too and like they get tied up in like sinaloa uh sinaloa cartel activity and you're just like fuck sometimes you just have to take those actions and so it's it's interesting to get that perspective even even in today i don't think those movies would fly today because of like all the all the um all the of the, all the hate towards the uh, police enforcement. Um, and I get it. Like, you shouldn't be kneeling on someone's fucking neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. But when you're dealing with, like, some of the dirtiest, low criminals out there, I, I, I just feel like you have to take those tactics um, to survive. You did what you had to do, which is, again, going back to what Alonzo said. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a complicated ethical question for sure. I feel like sure. these, like most of David Ayer's movies are about dirty cops. Sometimes they're redemption. And David Ayer, for, for those of you who don't know, he wrote Training Day, even though even though he did not direct it, in my mind, this is a David Ayer movie because he spent his whole career uh, making movies about the LAPD. He did Harsh Times. He did Street Kings, a movie that I watched just hours before this. He did End of Watch and he did Bright, which... I don't know. That's an LAPD movie, more or less. Than just <laughs> Suicide Squad, also an LAPD movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's certainly it's it's he's he's got a brand. And just moving to LA now, I mean, the the story of LA crime that I've seen through movies doesn't doesn't jive with my current knowledge of LA geography. Um, for instance, y'all know where this movie takes place within LA. That's a, it's Inglewood, right? Or like Southside? No. Somewhere? No. No, no. It's it's um Echo Park and, <laughs> and right. Westlake. That's right. That's Two right. places when I moved to LA in February, I could not find a place I could afford. Yeah, they've been gentrified heavy. But I used to live I, I visited Echo Park multiple times and I used to live pretty close uh, in Silver Lake and you still see the remnants of that. Especially like if you go to Echo Park, I mean there's there's tents everywhere. It's like tent city. It's it's like Lake Merritt in los angeles yeah yeah and i mean it used to be much more gang territory too like Mm. that's that's the world that this is taking place in is when this was like the east side was more gang controlled um but then gentrification moved that out too um you know again a very complicated issue uh because people still losing their homes and uh you know yeah there's the the two things that date this movie to 2001 for me um, more than anything is one that that geography of like those neighborhoods. I mean, they do go to South Central and um, I don't know if it's actually Compton, but when they do show up to the jungle neighborhoods, 
which is the name of it. That is not a racist name I'm suddenly giving this area. <laughs> That's the name of the movie. Uh, there's a music coming out of a car that just says Compton over and over, just in case you're you're confused. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing is the initial drug deal that they that they bust and like get leads onto other things. Uh, Ethan Hawke's the character Ethan Hawke, his his first move in the movie, it's just weed. They're just buying a little bit of weed. You can walk to a store and buy weed now, even during a pandemic, because it's an essential service. Didn't it turn out to be PCP though? Because he smokes it, and then, and then you know. Yeah, but that. they they talk at weed the whole time, and that's that was that's that was a strong memory I had of the movie. And as I watched it this time, it was like, well, it doesn't doesn't really make sense. Uh, they call it weed the whole time. I I got the idea that he like added PCP to it himself. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah, and I don't. I, I don't know really what PCP looks like or what form it comes in. Like that's just not a drug I have any knowledge of. Yeah, no, I, I can't, I can't uh, correct you there. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know I, if we're I, gonna get to the bottom of that mystery. <laughs> <laughs> I read it as he added it to the weed too. Uh, um, okay. Yeah, because that that is one of those other lines that just hangs in my memory. Is like, didn't know you like to get wet though. <laughs> What dates the movie is, is part of like wh- where it happens in Echo Park. But when I was when I was in LA, like one of the things that kind of threw me off was the amount of uh, so a lot of the time I would I would drive to like towards like towards Santa Monica for auditions, like in that neighborhood, like um, in between in between downtown LA and Santa Monica, um, and driving back or even driving towards like south and then west. I would always see police helicopters and it was like they were searching for someone. And like, you see that sometimes in Oakland, but like I saw it there like on a daily basis. And I was like, Oh fuck. Like LA is really like, it's, it's pretty rough still. That's, that's continuous. And like, I don't know how much of that is. Some of that might just be hangover police budget, to be honest. (laughs) Like, um, they just have a lot of helicopters and you got to justify that budget. Just testing um, them out. Yeah, if you just, have helicopters, wouldn't you drive them around? <laughs> but yeah, I remember shooting outside in the Hollywood Hills at night and just, oh my God, the amount of helicopters, the amount of just like holding, and then the occasional like, yeah, they're actually chasing people in helicopters, which is a unique experience uh, to just be around and see searchlights, like paint by your set. It's yeah. A, it's a vibe. But yeah. <laughs> I um, dri- driving through those uh, through so there. I mean, there, most of it is gentrified, but I, there were there were moments um, where I would have to drive through like South Central and Inglewood. And I remember I was actually doing uh, an indie film maybe like two years ago before um, before I had like finally made the move, and for some reason somebody knew some uh, Rolling Forties Crips, and all of a sudden they were background in the movie. And but just like the casualness of having rolling forties crips, and for those of you who don't know, those are crips from like the gang crips where they wear all blue. But rolling forties um, and like the rolling twenties, it's all. I, I'm pretty sure it's coordinated with the streets. Uh, but it's 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 a notorious gang, and like these guys were like full uniform. Like you, you think it's like a parody, like when you see it like on TV, but no, they really dress in all blue, and they were dressed in all blue, and they were just in the background. They were some of the coolest people I ever met in my life. But they like had the tattoos, they had everything. Like we were in the neighborhood, and it was just like fuck, this is really LA. Like I I, I mean I grew up with like gangs, but like it was it was it was it was somewhat subtle. 
But this was just like there. And one of them ended up being like a business owner for like a vegan burger shop, which I thought was just the oddest thing. But like LA, like especially if you like take the wrong turn or maybe just take a turn you weren't expecting, like it really slaps you in the face, like the actual reality and things that have been depicted as LA gang culture and, and, and the crime. It's, it's real. I really want to ask, uh, what are what are gangs like in Connecticut compared to LA? Because I've got <laughs> I, all all my thoughts about Connecticut are very waspy. Yeah, like, I don't know a lot about what it's like for not though the white people from Connecticut that we make fun of. Yeah, it's a it's a weird state because everyone knows of that of that wealth. Um, uh, mo- most of the people who live in Connecticut who have that kind of money, um, if you're not Vince McMahon, um, work in New York, but they have homes in Connecticut because Connecticut is more uh, rural. There's a lot more land. Um, it's like you know being a, a Silicon Valley millionaire and then going and living in like Marin. Or, um, and they 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 would heli- they literally sometimes helicopter into to New York. It's fucking stupid. Um, but like wow. uh, dr- just driving through those areas, you can't even see the homes unless like you get out of the highway and take an exit and like drive through. Um, and you'll be pulled over, especially if you're a person of color like myself. Like we would never go in those areas because we would definitely get pulled over. Um, but you can't even see because like the the trees are so high. They like almost intentionally like put like blinders there. But Connecticut it had a lot of uh, industrial. Um, it was like part of like the, the industrial revolution. And there's a lot of factories in there. Um, and a lot of those factories shut down because, you know, everything has been shipped off overseas. You know, it's it's much like Detroit and their car industry. Um, but this was just like, you know, tool factories. And there's still a lot of like uh, there's a lot of insurance companies um, that are in Hartford, Connecticut, um, that are also shipping out now, too. So a lot of it is like abandoned buildings and stuff like that. Um, and a lot of the people in Connecticut, um, are people who have left New York, uh, for various reasons. Like my mom, when she came to this country, cause I'm a first generation Puerto Rican, uh, she came, she was born in Puerto Rico. She lived in Brooklyn in the Bronx for most of her childhood and then eventually moved to Connecticut, um, with my grandmother and my aunt who were escaping some bullshit. Um, but the, the point of that is a lot of those are like, you know, people trying to flee New York. Cause especially like in the eighties, when my mom came to Connecticut, you know, the eighties in New York was uninhabitable. Like it was just, it was just fucking crazy, especially like during the crack ep- epidemic. So uh, Connecticut is just like a bunch of rundown, um, industrial cities, um, that are like, it's again, it's just a lot of rundown buildings and project housing and there is wealth there. There's also oddly enough, a country, there there's like country like people like like actually like you know inhabit that you know our aura of like being from the country and like drive or like act like fucking rednecks it's fucking stupid but um the inner city is a lot of yeah the inner city is just a lot of crime and gangs a lot of a lot of spanish gangs and a lot of black gangs um so it's there it's just not as like notorious because it's a smaller state as a new york or even a boston massachusetts because like we're literally shoved in between two major cities that are both an hour and a half away from like where i grew up which is like you know central connecticut so that's what it's like it's awful (laughs) (laughs) fascinating yeah so did had you been out to la when you were a kid at all Uh, uh or I'm says a much bigger drive than like, I didn't make it down to LA and I'm from California until I graduated college probably. Oh, wow. Um, no, I, I, the first time I ever went to Los Angeles, uh, me and my girlfriend at the time when I was in college, I think I, I didn't go until I was like 20. Um, yeah, I had never left the tri-state area 
the only time I had ever left was to go to Puerto Rico when I was, I think, in middle school. Yeah. So like my entire life was Boston, New York, New Jersey, and Philly. I had never gone any further than that in any direction. First time I had ever gone to Los Angeles was uh, on a plane ride because uh, my girlfriend at the time, her aunt and uncle, they were getting married. And we went to LA because they live in LA. And then we went to Solvang where the wedding was. And so that was my first experience with California. And then when I moved out here, I, we drove there. We drove across country. And then we, we ended up living in the Bay um, before we separated. So you just had like, you know, you had training day and like other other media set in Los Angeles. And yeah. then you had Solvang, yeah. which is, you know, exactly the way like Solvang training day basically takes place there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, <laughs> it's that. That car chase scene, yeah, yeah, that that like rich Danish, you know, uh, <laughs> is it Danish is or Swedish? I think it's Danish. Yeah, British, my yeah. grandma, my grandma's Danish, and she was like about Solvang. I still haven't <laughs> gone. <laughs> it's great. They have they have a lot of uh, uh, breweries out there, and there was like a Hamlet Inn. I was like, oh, that's kind of cute. I've uh, I've know one person who's from there, that's and weird. the way they talk about it is like. The seedy underbelly of Solvang, though, like the um, amount of drugs. I feel like every uh, place the first has time a I've ever heard underbelly. this in my life. <laughs> <laughs> that underbelly is like one corner yeah. of Solvang. Uh I, you know, I'm I'm excited to to go check it out someday. Not specifically the seedy underbelly, but uh, <laughs> but you know, you start um, there and claw your way up. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> I actually knew a lot about Los Angeles, so uh, I, I'm huge into documentaries, especially about crime. I just I think crime is so fascinating. I don't know why. Uh, maybe it's because I grew up around it, um, but like I just I think crime is so fucking fascinating. And I would watch a lot of documentaries about Los Angeles, about like the riots in '92 um, after Rodney King, yeah. and and about the the crack epidemic, um, and about free, Freeway Rick Ross. And so I know obviously like LA is like the entertainment capital. Um, um, or like the cultural capital, like outside of New York. I mean, it's, it's its own empire. Yeah. That's the big thing to me too, is like, especially like on the East coast, you're going to feel that New York is like New York, Chicago, LA. Mm -hmm. I like to think San Francisco sometimes makes the, the cultural impact that I like I'm from I, there. I, I think <laughs> yeah, so. Well, I mean, I we've also so. got like Silicon Valley and just like the economy True. of ideas that have yeah. always originated out of San Francisco. So it's always in that conversation. The benefit yeah. of like, oh, gross. I mean, the <laughs> obvious reason there's so many movies about LA is well, this is where we film all the fucking movies. Yeah. True, 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 true. So real quick too, I, I want to get into Ethan Hawke for a minute. Uh, are y'all y'all Ethan Hawke fans? <laughs> I, I actually had the same professor as Ethan Hawke, same acting professor oh, as Ethan Hawke. Um, he, Ethan Hawke went to uh, uh, he went to fuck. Where did, where did he go? He went to school in it, it was in it was in Pennsylvania. I forget what it's called. Um, it's one of the, like the bigger programs. Um, but my teacher taught him, and I think he left while he was there because he he had become a star so fast because he's this very good looking kid. Um, and he had to like leave early, I think Zachary Quinto was also there, but yeah, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Ethan Hawke fan and we have that weird connection. So you went to a very sexy school is what you're no, saying. No, I went to a really shitty school. I don't know how the professor, um, that I got, you know, went from, uh, where he, fuck, what was the name of the school? <laughs> it's, it's not SUNY Purchase. It's, it's not Cambridge. It's, uh. It's not Cornish. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll fucking think of it. But <laughs> I think um, if we name all yeah. the schools and narrow it down. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah we'll just, we'll just, just edit it out. Just I like named put four. in just the one. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so that that's a weird connection we have. I, yeah, I'm trying to place like where he was in his career too, because like Denzel was established at this point. Like, oh yeah, clearly. Denzel had an Oscar, had been yeah, off uh, Saint Elsewhere for like 13 years. You know, yeah. just true A-list actor in a way that I don't know if Ethan Hawke was at the time. I don't well, know if he Ethan is now. Hawk, I don't know if he ever was. Yeah, and like again, like I, I've got a little bit of a blind spot when it comes to probably both of these actors. I've never. Uh, seen Man on Fire. I, I haven't seen um, Malcolm X. It's I haven't seen um, <laughs> any of the Before Sunset trilogy. Uh, oh, I'm just I'm actually looking it up. Denzel Washington's Before Sunset. Yeah, he was in Dead a... Poet Society. I'd watch that movie. But he, but that <laughs> was Robin Will Williams movie. His I saw Gattaca like, much oh, later, but what's I have that seen vampire that? movie. <sighs> One Interview of my favorite vampire? quotes from no. any movie. No, it's a vampire movie with Ethan Hawke in it. Daybreakers. Uh, uh, one of my favorite quotes from any movie is just, life's a bitch and then you don't die. Oh, that's good. And we can thank Ethan Hawke for that. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I actually, I, I did see Daybreakers and I was very disappointed personally. Uh, I had high hopes for that movie. Um, I, I feel like his career has been underwhelming, to be honest with you. Because I'm looking yeah. at it as like... Uh, that is the thing about Ethan Hawke is like I've never met anyone who doesn't like Ethan Hawke or certainly anyone in the industry who has a bad thing to say about Ethan Hawke. But have you ever met anyone who goes like, oh, yeah, Ethan Hawke, Ethan my Hawk. favorite that's actor. My, that's my guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's he, he's good in this. I mean, this yeah. is, you know, this is a Denzel Washington movie and like For anybody sure. else's performance is supporting, even though he's yeah. he's the main character. Yeah, like Ethan Hawke is in every scene of this movie. <laughs> yeah, but he's almost kind of our window into this world. He doesn't it's really his training day. He doesn't do anything <laughs> until <laughs> the end of the movie. Well, that's not true. That that scene we talked about earlier—that's pretty active, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, I yeah. mean, he spends a lot of it high, looking out of a car. Um, <laughs> this might have been the, the the climax of his career, I think. Yeah, Ethan Hawke always, he uh, he inhabits that same space for me as, like, Keanu Reeves, which, again, like, uh, never bad, never great. No, but uh, I feel like Keanu Reeves has hit a different stratosphere, especially with the genre. He, he's found his right. groove. I don't think Ethan Hawke has found his. Yeah. yeah. Keanu Reeves, iconic, and um, Ethan Hawke, he's got some movies. Like, Reality Bites was a big one for me. Mm. Um, Haven't seen I, that one. I enjoy his very weird Hamlet, if you guys haven't seen that. No, I haven't seen it, but I just saw the photo. It's, it's not great, but it is fascinating. It's like Hamlet, which he kind of is. He's like a, you know, kind of emo rich kid uh, in uh, New York yeah, yeah. To, with like a rich dad, uh, rich uncle who's banging his mom. Uh, updating Shakespeare is always like a risky game. I tend to have a soft spot for it. Like Scotland PA is one of my favorite movies, mm. which has neither of these actors in it, but <laughs> as opposed Hamlet's... to much ado about nothing, which is a right, Denzel movie, which I have not seen. <laughs> I, uh, I think Ethan Hawke is going to have one of those careers where the older he gets, and this is weird to say, cause Al Pacino also had like he had Al Pacino is, is is a bad comparison, but he has a lot of great movies when he was younger. But I feel like the older he got, the more interesting he got to watch on screen. And I think Ethan Hawke is on that same trajectory because I think he's about to do a, a movie as as like a pastor. And I don't know why, but like anytime like an older actor is like, I'm gonna play a pastor. I'm like, oh shit, or you know, we're gonna oh, talk about. I the forgot Catholic about Church. First Reformed. 
Like one of the best performances. I, I take it all back. Ethan Hawke is phenomenal in that First movie. First performed was incredible. Yeah, that was very that. good. That is the best performance I've seen from Ethan Hawke, hands down. Yeah, it is that. very good. Highly recommended. It. It's on that Amazon Prime that you just canceled. Oh no! I think <laughs> so. He already played the fucking role. I for some reason I thought it was an yeah. Yeah, unless role. you're talking about the second reforms. <laughs> Maybe but, I don't know, but yeah, I think so. Since you're saying he's phenomenal, I think he just gets better the older he gets, and I think he's gonna have one of those careers where like he's gonna be like eighty, like winning Oscar after Oscar. I, mean, I don't know. Ideally, that would happen with every actor as long as they're given the same opportunities to excel. I mean, mm. wouldn't you just be a better actor with more life experience? Right, and Hollywood has no guess, nothing yeah. of ageism and uh, well, not know, for youthful, white men. Youthful stories aren't aren't uh, hot. <laughs> Brando, Brando fell off the older he got. I think Brando was the exception because even when he played. Um, um, Vito Vito Corleone. He was still relatively young, like in his forties. Yeah, old age makeup and uh, the cotton oh, in, really? the, yeah. in the mouth. Yeah, yeah. When he got older, you think of Apocalypse Now. I think and, of him uh, wearing an ice bucket on his which head. Which is okay, and, uh, yeah, Dr. Burrow. He fell off. Which is just just his choice. Well, real quick, we've gotten we're about a half hour into this interview, and we haven't summarized the uh, summarized <laughs> the film yet. So uh, let's see. Who, 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 anybody? Any volunteers? Ooh, ooh. Um, I'm volunteering, Ed. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, I will graciously take that. Uh, a young cop tries to make the narcotics unit to eventually make detective, and on his first day of training in this narcotics unit, he comes across the person to train him, who's Alonzo, who turns out to be. This cop who doesn't necessarily go by the rules, goes by his own rules, and just wa- walks the streets differently than a cop should morally do. And throughout the film, Dete- uh, Hoyt, which is his last name, I don't know his fucking first name. He, um, Ethan Hawke. <laughs> Ethan Hawke, that's, that's, that's the name. Ethan Hawke, hyphen Ethan Hawke, Hoyt. Hoyt. <laughs> Ethan Hawke um, starts to oppose it, but Slow, but is is hesitant to because he he still wants to get this promotion. He wants to make it in the as a cop, as a detective eventually. But he has this moral uh, center that just doesn't make him completely budge. And uh, Alonzo turns out that he's trying to pay off a debt because he killed a, a Russian who happens to have mob ties, and he's using Hoyt Ethan Hawke to sort of uh, leverage the situation um which you know i was i was looking at the plot yesterday and i was just like was he really trying to set him up the whole time or was he like trying to convert him and just in case he didn't convert him he does set him up because he gives him so many opportunities to just like just take this fucking illegal money i don't now i was looking at possible plot hoes and i was like i don't know i don't know what the fuck's going on um but yeah uh conflict eventually happens in, in during this because uh you know you, you you an immovable object meeting an unstoppable force um one that's has the moral high ground and the other one who's just who's just better tactically in, in trying to get around the system i don't i i have no idea how to explain this movie it's it's it seems so <laughs> simple and yet there's so many complicated i was i was trying to explain it to my partner and she was like what's happening what's happening and i was just like well he has to pay this debt but he's also trying to train this guy it's it's a good complicated. Topic. Yeah, it's it is both plot heavy and like really really character driven. Like the motivations yeah, yeah. are very clear. No one is like there is definitely like 
morality is a huge element, but like it's even hard to call what Alonzo's doing like indefensible because he's trying to survive and every like both of these characters are trying to be dads. Like at the end of the day, that is like something that they try and really heavily hand us to. It's like both these characters really just want to make it home to their like loved ones and continue to be a dad because that's something that I don't know about your you're putting yourself in uh you know line of fire and uh you might not be able to be there as a parent to your child i think you're forgetting that denzel almost sacrifices his kid at the end of the movie <laughs> true i <Dude>. yeah <laughs> <laughs> i like even hawk's the only one to go with. like there's that element but i i you know what no i disagree with every word you just said <laughs> okay that's that's a that's a, a valid point that moment where he does yeah he's like <laughs> you gotta protect the innocent yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah, so that, this that is, part, this that is part a good moment me. to ask both of you, because we all speak varying degrees of Spanish on this podcast. Every David Ayer film says it takes place in L.A. We'll have, we'll have a scene where uh, a person who's not of Latin origin is speaking Spanish, and it's never subtitled. I love that. You are uh, in the world, whether you speak Spanish or not. Like, that conversation's happening. It can be for you or not you. And you get what's happening, whether you do or don't speak Spanish. Uh, my question for Ed, I'm going to assume you speak the most Spanish. Is that? Um, duh, that might. So... <laughs> um, oh, no. You guys, I'm, I'm oh, ridiculously out of practice. Um, but I did okay. grow up in a Puerto Rican household. So I speak mostly Spanglish just because I was so resistant to speak Spanish growing up. But like if someone just starts speaking to me in Spanish, I can pick up every word. Um, right. Yeah. So do you think Denzel speaks Spanish or do you think he memorized some Spanish for this movie? You know, I, I want to give Denzel the benefit of the doubt and say he did because the way he speaks it is so effortless. You can kind of tell when someone is like speaking Spanish and it's struggling for them, you know, but but the way he says, mijo, mijo, right? And then and then when he's talking to his son initially, like when he has that like really awkward moment where you're like, fuck, he's a shitty dad because he barely ever sees his fucking son. Um, he's saying, está naciendo. Right. And it, just the way just the way it's falling out of his tongue. Just it just I was just like, wow, he really learned the language for this. And also that scene with Snoop Dogg, who's also randomly in the movie. So is Terry Crews. There's a lot of random cameos like Dr. Dr. Dre, well. Macy Gray. Terry yeah. Crews just showing up as background, basically. I know his career starting. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you first see I know we're doing like a segue on a segue here. Um, <laughs> you first see Terry Crews from the back. Like, he's just clapping and pigeons are going yeah. around. Did, did everyone hear? I immediately knew it was Terry Crews. You don't see his face. I didn't You see, like, the upper frame initially. of the yeah. back of his body. Yeah, no, it took me seeing his face. Yeah. Um, yeah. He doesn't have a line in this movie. <laughs> no, no, he just, he just, he he's just got looks some, menacing. Yeah, he's got some mean looks, though. Now, because we know who Terry Crews is, like, and he is the Old Spice, he's the Old Spice guy, and, Brooklyn like, Nine Nine. I've seen him he's as more so police than anything lovable. else at this point. Yeah, but like he seems like just the air he gives off and his like brand is like the sweetest, most muscle bound, genuine, like nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Definitely I don't remember him being in this movie as a kid, and I think that maybe works better for it when you don't have that Terry brand uh Terry Cruz brand to attach to him. Mm-hmm. Well when I saw this movie, there were only two people that I knew who they were. And this, I mean, this could have easily been my first Ethan Hawke. I think I'd seen Gattaca. So, like, I recognized Ethan Hawke. And also, 
I mean, let's let's be real. I've been told my entire life that you kind of look like Ethan Hawke, mostly by not white people. <laughs> I see that. I give it to you begrudgingly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's not. It's certainly not something I'm claiming. But there are scenes in this movie where we're just like this. This does. This does speak to me. Uh, but you know, I forgot that Scott Glenn was in this movie because I didn't know who Scott Glenn was. And I certainly, I, I recognize Snoop Dogg yeah, as well, but Dr. Dre, Scott Glenn is, Scott Glenn is uh, well, so fun, Scott Glenn plays uh, Roger in this movie, who's like the older white oh, guy that Alonzo okay. visits and steals. Okay. Yeah, no, he's got, he's His got like voice. a John Hurt type face, and he's in Gavin's favorite movie, Sucker Punch. Uh, <laughs> that's that not is, fair. That is sarcasm, just to lay that out there. He's in, he's in a lot of stuff. He's like just an established character actor, and I feel like he's in more stuff the older he gets. He, um, he's incredible. Like, he was great in this movie, and I'm not sure what I remember him from, but like that voice is gold. Yeah. I wanted to mention my favorite bit of trivia that I learned after this movie. Both Scott Glenn and Denzel Washington play John McCreary in different Man on Fires. They are men on fire. Oh. There's a scene in this movie that has two men on fire talking to each other. And one man on fire shoots another man on fire. But not a single man on a wire. No. No, unfortunately not. <laughs> I mean, this movie could have could have used more tight roping. That's that's all I'm really asking for. Like, imagine that final, like, the getaway when he's trying to run from uh his house. Like they're running across rooftops and then they're both just balancing, you know, gun in each hand, trying to like they can't aim forward because yeah. they'll lose their balance. And they you know, have the to walk the between works. the Twin Towers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine what other play? This movie actually came out, like, it was supposed to come out the week after September 11th. That got pushed, like, three weeks. Oh, did it really? <laughs> yeah, no, it came out in October 2001. <laughs> wow. Yeah, just a, just a fun time to go to the movies. Yeah, that's because again, like I do kind of like to look at, like, especially American cinematic history with, like, 2001. And probably 92, uh, more accurately for this movie, as like just where things often changed. Like and 2020. Movies... <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> pretty safe to assume. But like, yeah, after 2001, movies changed. Like that is a big like cultural, like historical landmark on, our, on the timeline of America that is, you know, the response to that like lives in the pop culture that came out after that. And I'm sure, you know, this they're, they're they are consistently talking about, you know, that chokehold's not allowed anymore. Yeah. All the, all the uh, investigations going on. You can't do that sort of thing. Part, part of what Ethan Hawke's saying, like at first, like it just kind of, he's a lot of what he's doing, just like Denzel is self-preservation. Yeah. Like he wants to survive with his career and he wants to make it home at the end of the day. Yeah. I felt like there was a lot of propaganda that came out after, Nine Eleven, uh, just more films about patriotism and stuff like that. Which I mean, I don't condemn. I mean, for sure, yeah, yeah. No, what, what am I trying to say? I don't necessarily enjoy because I now that I'm older, I know it's propaganda. Um, but I'm also not saying that like just I don't know like patriotism is wrong or anything like that. It just kind of right. seems like they're just pushing an agenda. Um, yeah, and we'll see. And a lot we of certainly that going ab forward. 
avoided more fluffy movies that had like terrorism or or like subplots of terrorism even in it even when like yeah, you know the hero yeah. like another movie that got pushed back from 2001 was uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Collateral Damage where there is an explosion that I think kills his family and like he's just kind of pushed off as collateral damage but you know it's Arnold Schwarzenegger so he goes to South America himself and beats the shit out of Cliff Curtis who's also in this movie right who I wanted to talk about for a second because that's The Rock's uh, family in Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> that's his brother. And like, I was always that dude, his specifically his mustache always threw me a little bit. Um, because I remember him very vividly. It's him and Tuco from Breaking Bad. Yes. Who yeah. I've forgotten was in that movie. Although, again, I had to look yeah, up. Bro, I've had I my shit pushed in. <laughs> like, you ever had your shit in. pushed in? <laughs> that's definitely stuck in the back of my mind too from this movie. Oh, yeah. But like, Cliff Curtis is Maori. <laughs> he's he's, he's not... native New Zealand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's he's that he's 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 the token ethnically ambiguous though. Like that, it's, a, it's yeah. a huge thing. I heard it a lot when I came out to California. It's like uh, being ethnically ambiguous will get you a lot because he he played Mexican and then you're right he played the Rock's family. But I also saw this random ass clip on Netflix after I finished watching End of Watch and he was in it with uh, in a movie with Eddie Murphy. I think it was a thousand words and he was playing some sort of British and I was like, this dude is very yeah. fucking versatile. It was yeah, everything. I mean, it's like I feel like I have seen him play every non-white ethnicity, and I, I'm I'm so curious as we move on as a culture to more um, what what is the term I'm saying? Like you know, there's been a lot of pushback against white actors, but yeah, inclusions better representative uh, yeah. casting, and more more recently even going into like animation, which I am all in favor with for just giving more opportunities to everyone. Uh, but I am I am so curious if there becomes a point uh, where, you know, Cliff Curtis has played, you know, a black man. He has played Latin. He has played Middle Eastern. He is not any of those things. And I'm 100% not passing judgment from my place. Uh, but will there ever be a time where, you know, an Argentinian playing a Mexican is problematic? Or um, I don't know any sort of example like that. And I always point to Cliff Curtis because, like, you know, as an actor, the man could do anything. Um, I don't know if anyone has any thoughts on that or if I'm going to stand here in silence well, and sound weird. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I I remember specifically, and I'm trying to remember which biopic it was, but like um, there was a woman uh, playing um, a black singer who was lighter skinned. She was still African-American. It was Zoe like, Saldana, right? And Nina Simone? Poss that, yeah, I yeah. think so. And remember that that was a controversy in its own right. And I don't think the movie did very well. And I don't not saying that's why, but like, you know, it is an, an important conversation. And like, I'm trying to think of instances too where like they've darkened up already African American actors to make them darker skinned. Like, do you mess with the skin tone? Seems like a really uncomfortable because yeah, just the connotations aren't aren't good looking. Yeah. I, do you think, do you blackface a black actor to to make uh, them more black? Uh, I mean, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, I think it's it's interesting because I don't have a problem personally with Cliff Curtis, um, especially because like I'm sure he just seems like an actor with a lot of integrity, um, and because he is so. What 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 did you say he was again? He's Maori. Maori. I don't even know what the fuck that is. Where is that uh, geographic? Native, native New Zealand. Oh, native New Zealand. You know, it's funny because a so lot of people think I'm from New Zealand it. randomly. Um, but I, I'm gonna again. I, I when I came here, one of the things that I got was uh, being ethnically ambiguous, and so um, 
I I identify as Puerto Rico, uh, as Puerto Rico. I identify as the whole island of Puerto you Rico. You speak for the people of Puerto Rico. <laughs> I I I um I identify as Puerto Rico. You're the avatar. Yeah, I'm the fucking avatar. But I uh but but I also identify now as Afro Latino because uh um my my ancestors are slaves brought over from West Africa by the Spaniards when when they finished killing off the natives of the island they brought over slaves and so like a lot of people think that I'm half black but it makes sense because of my features I have I have big lips I have big nose and so I I get asked all the time like are you like are you black you you look mixed and so I get cast as a lot of black characters and most recently I got cast as like a black father um which you know i was having a conversation with a friend of mine um who's a black actress and she was just like i don't have a problem with that personally because like you 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 do have african descent in you and like you you obviously look like it and obviously like this is something that's you know playing um playing a, a huge role in in your mind internally about whether or not you should play it but I, i've gotten cast as it as multiple times but i've also been cast as like uh mexican uh, i've also been cast as you know i've been cast as puerto rican like maybe once or twice but i've also just been cast as like just like someone who just happens to be a person and so i think as long as yeah. like I, I don't I don't think white actors have the right to play like, you know, something that's like, I mean, you know, I think I think an Irish actor can play an Italian actor. Right. Or an Irish actor can play a Swedish actor and vice versa. Right. As yeah. long as like you're within that ballpark. And I feel the same thing about Cliff Curtis. New Zealand has a lot of indigenous people. And obviously he looks he's like indigenous as fuck. He just looks like, you know, he has like. He's, he's just indigenous to that island as opposed to, you know, you see a, a New Zealander that has blonde hair and blue eyes. You're just like, you can't play Mexican. It's not the same. Um, unless like you were playing a Mexican who, who I mean, there are Mexicans uh, that do have blonde hair and blue eyes. But I think yep. if you're in the ballpark, <laughs> if I think if you're in the ballpark, personally, like if someone's playing Puerto Rican and he doesn't happen to be Puerto Rican, maybe he's maybe he's black. Right. There's a lot of Puerto Ricans who are like really black in terms of like their their pigmentation and the same thing for like cubans and dominicans i don't have a problem if like a filipino plays a puerto rican you know i just think you need to be in the ballpark um but that's me personally i think there's a lot of backlash everywhere but i think everyone has there's not a monolith of opinions there's a lot of people who have differing opinions and i think you just need to be in the ballpark but definitely do not blackface yourself or blackface further <laughs> That is the official stance of this stance of this podcast. podcast. Yeah. No matter who mm-hmm. you are, don't blackface yourself. Don't don't don't, don't blackface. <laughs> if uh yeah, and also if Cliff Curtis is only you know allowed to take Polynesian roles, like how how many opportunities would he have in Hollywood? Well, hopefully more soon. I... <laughs> yeah, no, hopefully. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's a conversation I mean, that's always rolling through my head. True, and then a thing too is like specifically to Ed's point especially in like central and south america like there's just a lot more different ranges of skin tone um around like culturally the conversation about race is pretty different in other parts of the world compared to america and america is starting to you know there's a lot more people of like mixed cultural backgrounds and those stories are going to start coming to the forefront too and that becomes even a little bit more complicated for casting because then you're trying to you know show someone who's maybe you know a clear product of two cultures like miles morales uh is um i actually forget what he is uh he's african-american and i think he's puerto rican he's half puerto yeah. rican yeah you, you could that's... you could play miles <laughs> oh for sure <laughs> that's and a, that's actually a... the voice actor of miles is a black actor yeah yeah should make more right and that, yeah. that's just a very specific <laughs> background you're trying to represent. 
Um, and that's important. Like that's what the world looks like is like those people exist and they have stories and they're humans and like they're going to need to be represented because they've got interesting lives that are worth talking about and showing. Yeah. Yeah. So who are you guys' favorite rapper in this movie? <laughs> I hate rappers who are actors for the most part. I I never think it's a smooth transition. I always think it's just like, oh, you know, maybe I'm gonna try this acting thing, but like it's not an acting thing. And Dr. Dre is horrible. Um, some of his lines, I'm just like, you know, just cringing listening to his lines. Who's who's the other rapper in here? Who's the other fucking Snoop rapper? Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Snoop, Dogg <laughs> Snoop, Snoop Dogg is okay because he kind of plays just probably. Yeah. I don't know. This is this I mean, also it is a like, cameo. Yeah, it's it's more of a cameo, but like Dre has a bigger part. But yeah. I hate actors who, for the most part, actors who turn into or rappers who turn into actors because I never think it's a smooth transition, and I always see them as the actor. I don't think there's any rapper that's ever made that transition that I'm like. Well, if oh, we ever okay. do our Ice Cube spinoff podcast, are we pod yet? We'll be sure to have you on to hate on him. <sighs> Fucking Ice Cube, man! It's, it's <laughs> Ice T is also another one too, but he's been with SVU for so long that like at this point, I'm just like. Okay, like, I just accept it. So what if I told you that this movie was supposed to, I mean, you know, all, all sort of casting rumors go through a number of people, but one of the one of the cast that the producers really wanted was Eminem for the Ethan Hawke Hoyt role. No, I'm so sorry, that shouldn't be happening. Um, you would no. get a scene where Dr. Dre points a shotgun at Eminem, and you would have a scene where Eminem tackles Snoop Dogg out of a wheelchair. <laughs> that would just be like a lot of uh, conflict between the Shady Aftermath record label, in my <laughs> opinion. <laughs> yeah, which, uh, oh my god, do you know, um, all right, you're Puerto Rican living in LA for a little bit, do you know who Rafael Perez is? I have no idea, actually. All right, so most of what I know is from research today, so I'm going to do a very bad job of explaining this, but this is uh, one of the most famous dirty cops in American history. Basically, I mean, what he got caught for was for stealing eight pounds of cocaine out of LAPD evidence locker, but it's, uh, I think he was indicted on like 70 counts of just shitty copness, and he is who Denzel Washington based his kind of look, not necessarily the performance, but like the overall look and whip uh, is come from this this real person of Rafael Perez. Right. And the training day was originally Cadillac written to movie. be a Latin cop. Yes. My God. When they first get in and he's like going up and like that the real star of this movie. Cadillac just like raises off the ground. Oh man, mm. I, I I might have heard of him because I, I I recently saw a documentary about uh, Freeway Freeway Rick Ross. I don't know why my fucking addiction is off right now, but um, and they were just I'm pretty sure he was highlighted in that. I, I don't know. Yeah. The, the, the the name sounds familiar. Um, he might but, have. Yeah, he was involved with like a lot of that East West record label stuff. He's one of the suspects of murdering uh, Biggie. There's a movie about that that hasn't been released with Johnny Depp and Forrest Whitaker. Oh. Interesting, yeah. I, you can look it up. I, I think it was supposed to be released like a year and a half ago, but for some reason it was never released. But it was, it's it's about the cop drama between, or or the cops surrounding that death. Or was it Tupac's? No, I think I think it was Biggie's. I think it was Biggie's. We've had a couple from that. There's a, like one of those anthology true crime series is called Unsolved, and it was about the Biggie and Pac murders in like two separate investigations later. One was kind of a cover-up, and one was uh, like proof this wasn't a cover-up. 
And then you also get to see two actors who have both played Biggie and Tupac in like four different things. And like, they're basically professional impersonators at this point. I, I recommend that series. It's got like uh Bukim Woodbine and uh, Josh Duhamel is like the leads. Jimmy Simpson. Uh, pretty good. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm curious what you guys like, cause we've talked about some, some, some big lines from this movie and what, what are your favorite scenes? Like if you had to pick, like we'll just each pick our first and then maybe we'll go into a second round. All right. If there's good. some left. Hmm. I, I would say personally, Oh wait, no, I need a second. Fuck. <laughs> All right, I can I can uh, stall for you um, and lead off of the first thing you said that uh, scene in the diner, which is which is the quality cafe, which has been used in dozens of movies, especially like during that time, uh, like two thousand to two thousand five. It's in it's in a number of movies uh, where you first meet Denzel. You hear him on the phone in the scene before, and he's already right. in control. Like you hear I Denzel's voice, he clicks off. And just the way this scene is shot, if you, if you, I don't know if you noticed the first time, you can go back and watch it. Uh, Ethan Hawke is usually in an over the shoulder shot, and Denzel Washington is alone, like in, in close ups, which means Denzel uh... is in every shot, and he is always in control. Even when, like, Ethan Hawke's telling the story, he's just looking in, and he's intensely listening. You can also tell he's bored, even though he's not giving any ticks. I don't know. This is my probably my second favorite Denzel performance after Malcolm X. Yeah, I, I remember specifically seeing that. Sh- I think one of the shots you were talking about where he's kind of, like, slouching, and his head is, like, slowly, like, slightly tilted down with his eyes, like, toward, like, you know, kind of pointing up. And he just, like, yeah. looks completely dissatisfied. And I, I just, I, I pay more attention to camera angles now, like, since, like, working on film but like right before the close-up that was it was there and i was just like oh fuck like, he just completely dominates this whole frame yeah um i'm gonna give a shout out to like the one scene where we start to realize he's less in control which is really interesting and um it's when they go into like the fancy diner and meet like the the three wise men i believe uh, denzel calls them <laughs> and yeah. it's like the old guard like old white um cops who uh, he's definitely the young Denzel's all of a sudden the young one. He's the one asking the favors and he needs like support, but he still walks in there with, you know, the rookie introduces him and says, all right, now go, go fuck off. Men are talking. (laughs) And, but like watching that power, like stay at that level for so long in this movie and then shrink when they're like, I don't usually talk to dead men. Yeah. And you're like, what, what is going on here? This yeah. turn. And you know, he's like, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. I just need this one thing. And just cause we're coming off of so much has already happened in this movie. And then like all of a sudden the stakes almost feel higher when it's just four people sitting at a table. And it's just really cool to watch that happen. Yeah. That's all. I remember watching that scene when I was younger and not really enjoying it because, you know, it just got really subtle. And I was like, well, where's, where's all the action happening? But watching it again last right. night and more recently, just you, you write that shift in power. But also the fact that he calls them the three wise men. And it just it's not, it's, it's like he's going to the Oracle the or the Oracle's plural of like corrupt cops. And you're just like he's talking yeah. to like the most powerful cops. And then right after he slips out that wad of cash and puts it in the Mercedes because he made the deal to get the arrest warrant. And you're like. Fuck, this is the most corrupt cops you could ever find in your life. 
unless you watch other David Ayer movies, which have even worse cops in them. Yeah, I'm trying to remember that specific uh, that line where he's like, "How much? How much cash was that? You really want to know? Yeah, I really want to know. Nothing free in this world, even arrest warrants." Yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to know. <laughs> yeah, and that's it's that's that's that continuation of just like, um, because later on, oh, I'll, Ed, I'll let you spit out your scene. Um, I, I'm hoping to talk about the. I've already forgotten his name. Rogers scene. So we've got time um, to do like a couple rounds of these scenes. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. No worries. Um, no, that's a really good scene. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, I th- I I think the the one scene that's coming to mind is so, so. I mean, you talk about like the dynamic of power when he finds someone more powerful than him. But I think the scene where Ethan Hawke fights those crackheads to 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 get him off of of the girl. But like Denzel, like. When they say to suck my dick and he gets so mad about it. And the thing is, like, he's such a powerful dude, but you see his ego come into play when he's giving the time of day to, like, you know, just two, you know, crackheads on the street. Um, and not to, like, you know, shit on crackheads, you know, but, like, I mean, like, in comparison, like, you would think, like, this all-powerful man doesn't, doesn't even associate with, you know, people telling him to suck it. They're just crackheads. But he, like, he, when he, he pulls the guns on him, and he's like clicking them together and then he points them at the dude's nuts and he's like, which nut you want? Just, just, just make a decision, make a decision. And just like, but the, the calmness, but also the, just the fact that it, his ego is attacking him so hard right now that he has to address the situation. And he's so menacing to like a, this crackhead. It just shows you the type of character that he has. And he has, he, he doesn't respect shit, which is also what they say later um, when um, he sets up Ethan Hawke yeah, yeah. at the house. Um, he's just like, I never shake his hand. He doesn't respect nothing nothing and you see that earlier in the scene he just he he's just ruthless yeah i mean this is he wasn't even gonna book two crackheads who just tried to rape someone like that wasn't even worth his time but as soon as they attack his ego yeah and that's that's another like largely improvised scene as well like a lot of the, a lot of the stuff denzel does in that the, the rubbing the two guns together just choices <laughs> bold bold choices there's also like in that scene too like that's because so much of this movie is us trying to figure out what the dynamic um, is that he's going for. Like, if Ethan Hawke matters to him at all, if he's just a cog in, like, the wheels that he's he's using to drive forward his plan, if he is trying to recruit him. Because that is still, like you were saying, Ed, a little unclear at the end. Is like, he kind of, he mentions he kind of sees himself. Like, you know, Roger said, um, he's like, look at this, you know, rookie, he's high as fuck. And then Denzel's like, "What do you think of him?" And he's like, "He's just like you when you were when you were uh, first starting out." Mm, mm-hmm. And I I kind of went and watched because again I watched this on DVD and I watched all the deleted features or uh, deleted scenes. The things that they deleted, I think, are all good choices. I'm glad they were left out, but they were predominantly more backstory right? bonding. It was it was like backstory and bonding. So it's Denzel like opening up about what he was like as a rookie showing mm. you know where his train his training officer made him watch this guy beat the shit out of a dog and he's like i grew up with dogs i love dogs i wanted to get out and stop this guy and he's like no that guy's protected like what he's doing right there is he's training that dog it might not be legal it might not be right and uh in uncertain terms it's more racist than that like he's that dude's being paid because he's black to beat up this dog. So this dog grows up to hate black people. And that's what, so that's what version of training a black dog is. Wow. Or yeah. And he's, and it's Denzel's that dog's like, training I, day. And Denzel's like, I didn't know if I should beat the shit out of my training officer. 
the guy beating the dog or the guy paying the, him to beat the dog. Um, but I learned that like the streets are just going to show you like if you think you've seen it all, there are new lows that you're going to hit. That's just part of being here. And that's what I'm trying to impart unto you for some reason, I guess, is to like slowly. First of all, is it me trying to relate to you or is it me trying to shift your moral compass so that I can use you more appropriately in my team of five people? Um, yeah. Mm. Also, another deleted scene is the three wise men do come back at the end and talk to Ethan Hawke and basically say nothing. And I'm glad that was cut too. Yeah. Wait, what, what, they they talk to Ethan Hawke after after um after he leaves Alonzo. Uh, after he pulls up to his house, they're waiting outside, and they just like say like, "So did that all happen?" He's like, "It all happened." Where's the money? I booked it. It's in evidence. And they're like, "Okay, well." That's what's happened then. And then he walks home to his house. Yeah, that's kind of... oh, that's not necessary. Once Alonzo gets shot, like, the movie's over. You get to, like, see Ethan yeah. Hawke, like, return home after what's honestly only been, like, 12 hours. This movie takes place <laughs> across 12 hours. Yeah. Um, but this movie, Training Day, you think you're watching... I think I just figured this out. You think you're watching Ethan Hawke's first day on the job and in reality you're watching denzel washington's last day on the job ah uh, i mean you're watching both yeah. yeah but like one's like secretly what the movie is i i, I agree i agree as the movie the movie as is, is is a masterpiece i think and i think that scene at the end with the three wise men would have been too much but i now want to go and watch the deleted scene because it just i i want to see the broad broader story of that so like alonzo's character is done i definitely don't want a sequel i don't want anything but like i'm just more interested in the story you know well? you have some of these questions that are not answered and like you know, I'm like, are the three wise men going to set up Ethan Hawke? Like, what's going to go on? But they, probably not, because I think Alonzo was a pest, so, like, they probably are glad that he's gone. But I, I don't know. It's just, I, I'm, I'm always more curious about what else happened in the story. Yeah. Alonzo definitely isn't someone who ruled by affection and favor. Like, he, he may have, like, even, because there's that moment, too, where, like, he's walking back into his neighborhood where clearly everyone hates him. And he walks past that guy, and he's like, Hey, uh, real quick, thank you for helping out my nephew with that thing. I really appreciate it. And he goes like, no worries. Keeps walking. And then like the dude turns to his friend and goes, like, I fucking hate that guy. I hate that guy. <laughs> and you just see that in like probably the most famous scene in the movie, like King Kong ain't got shit on me is right. just like, yeah, they all respect and fear of, but like no one in that, no one in the jungle no likes him. No one in Los him. Angeles. Yeah. No one likes him except, for, well, I guess I have a Mendes. <laughs> but yeah. Barely. But yeah, even that well, seems kind of yeah. fear driven. Yeah, there's it's yeah, it's a he's a he's a terrifying yeah. dude. And he you know, that's something Denzel can do that. Like there are some terrifying performances in like film history, but like the way Denzel can like control a scene and like the dynamicism of his voice and his mannerisms. I've seen very few other actors give give that sort of like control driven performances and like the first half of malcolm x is a lot like that too like he's in charge he is in charge and there's yeah. never any doubt uh, i think we got we can do one more round of scenes and then i kind of want to talk about everyone's favorite denzel movies you got another scene in mind i have one more that actually doesn't involve denzel so oh, i can yeah. say all of denzel's scenes are like my favorite scenes because again yeah. he's just he's just that fucking good but the scene the poker um, scene? huh 
Is it the poker scene? It's after the poker scene. It's once they once <laughs> once he already slapped the shit out of him. He's just like for dogging me and my pad, dude, or so, whatever the fuck he says. And then when they drag him in, and when they find out that he saved his little cousin's life, like that whole scene, um, he's like, "I have a baby girl." And then they they check, but after like when when he finds out when I, f- I forget the dude's name, but when he finds out and he takes the shotgun off of his fucking cheek and he smiley. pulls him up, smiley, smiley, yeah, which is which which is uh is fitting because he never smiles. Um. Uh, it's like a it's like it's a typical gang name, right? It's just like you know you call somebody pretty much the opposite of what they are, but um, like Tiny Lister, exactly, exactly. But he takes it off, he pulls him up, he kind of dusts him off, gives him a towel. He's just like here, getting blood on my floor, man. And it's just like a complete shift from you were about to get your head like blown off because it's just business, and he literally says that he's like, you know, this is just business, right? And it's just like seeing that and at that point ethan hawk like that's when you see like the really big character shift and why i think he deserved the oscar he was nominated but he deserved it where you just see where he's just like he was just numb to it he was just numb to it but it's also it's just so interesting to see that that underbelly of uh of the underworld right because that's even lower than that i mean you're in like cahoots with a cop to like you know take somebody's life and then like you don't do it because like you know, you you have some morality to you, right? It, it, this gang member has more morality than Alonzo does, where he's just like, fuck, you saved my little cousin, so I'm going to have your back and not fucking blow your head off. And just a continuation of that, like that scene for Ethan Hawke continues into him walking into Denzel's neighborhood. Yeah. And just like this cop with blood on his shirt walking into this neighborhood, uh, riding a bus with like a gun out, that just blows my mind at night. This dude, plainclothes police officer, walking around, just gun in hand. So terrifying. Yeah, especially after Denzel has literally said earlier in this morning, like, don't ever cub here without me. You will be murdered. Yeah. All right, Sage, what's what's your second scene? Well, I actually got the uh, the scene right before what Ed just said, because I, I, love, I love how Ed's scene plays overall. Watching it now, it always seems a little, like, I don't know, serendipitous that, like, oh, my one good deed got me out of this situation, which is, like, a nice bit of roundabout karma and, like, plays into the themes of this movie kind of nice. It's, like, the only sure. action that's rewarded in this entire movie. Uh, which is pleasant, but it also just seems very uh, convenient. I don't know. It, it used to work for me, and this was the first time I watched it. I'm like, ah, I don't know. But the scene before where Alonzo leaves to go to the bathroom and you know slips out the window or whatever, just leaves. All that happens off screen. Uh, you you spend time with Cliff Curtis and Tuco Salamanca and the other the other Latin actor who I am always glad to see in things and can yeah, yeah. can remember in bit parts from a lot of things it's just he is a he is a face that just makes me smile i can't explain it and they're playing cards and it's ethan hawk slowly realizing that he is in he is now in a horror film uh what i truly love about this i just found this out in some research antoine fuqua the director gave the actors different lines of dialogue on the day so ethan hawk is always responding to things he didn't know and i think there's a high chance that mm. do you ever have your shit pushed in oh was he just not in did the script not know that was and coming he did not know that's coming <laughs> that's amazing yeah yeah that that scene specifically like you're watching him just like stall and slow like his guard's not slipping but like yeah he's giving ground that entire scene like at first he's like i'm just gonna stand in this corner till alonzo's back 
He's like, all right, I'll sit at the table, but I'm not going to play cards. Yeah. All right, I'll play cards. Yes, that looks like my gun. No, I'm not going to hand you my gun. You let me see that gun. Okay, I'll hand <laughs> you the gun, I've seen, but I'm going to unload that, it first. I've seen that Beretta. I want to see your Beretta. Such a good scene. Yeah, when they finally give him the gun back, but like they've taken the bullets and are just playing keep away with them for like mm-hmm. a very chilling moment. Yeah. It's so good. And you get like five seconds of action before it's like, oh, it's not enough. Like Ethan Hawke tried. He flipped the table and he threw a cigarette or something. Yeah. He wasn't getting out, especially like when you no. see like walking into the house. Like it's like going down like this labyrinth of yeah. just like gang members. Uh, but quick note on that actor um, who you said makes you smile. His name is Noel Guglielmi. And his character's name, which I don't think they ever say his name, is actually Moreno, which is my last name. Just a fun fact. Hell yeah, you can play him in the reboot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wanna, I wanna talk a little bit about the Rogers scenes. Like, I know there's two of them, but you like, them, yeah. Yeah. So we're in this beautiful house in, I think that's Echo Park. Um, yeah, we meet this dude that Alonzo seems to know. Ethan Hawke is high on PCP. They're drinking expensive whiskey. And talking retirement plans. And then we realize uh, as the day goes on that Alonzo's plan is to buy a warrant and go rob this very rich and, you know, just a week away, you know, week away from retirement drug dealer. And that's where like things really, really, there's no going back after this moment because it's the final couple asks where they bust into this house Ethan Hawke sees like this dude that he thought was Alonzo's friend realizes that he's the target. Alonzo hands him a shotgun and says, do it. And Roger's laughing about it. There's like this levity to this moment that is like terrifying. And they just sit with it as it continues. It's like, do it. Do me. Shoot me. Shoot me. Everyone's just having fun. Yeah. That look in his eyes too. in, In Alonzo's eyes. Yeah. Where then finally... Denzel Washington pulls the trigger and lays out the facts as they appear because I'm trying to remember that line. It's like, it's not what, it's not what you say. It's what you can prove. You know, you are you a sheep <laughs> or are you a wolf? You want to go to jail? You want to go home? Yeah. Do your wolf howl. Come on, wolf. Oh, come on, dog. Oh, oh. <laughs> no, I said a wolf, not a rooster. A wolf. <laughs> that sounds like a rooster. <laughs> um, yeah, that scene, the way it unfolds, like the money and like the, you know, trying to hand him money and him saying, no, that's not how this happens. And he's like, right? all right, I'll hold, I'll hold on to you. I'll hold on to it. it for you. He goes, yeah. no. Right. Right? Right? He's just looking around. It's just. It's another scene, Ethan Hawke realizing what movie he's in. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, my God. It's so... There's also just, like, the way this movie looks is so gorgeous. And the way they do interiors. Like, uh, Anton Fuqua, which, I'm, you know, pronunciation probably not correct. I've only ever seen it written down, so... Yeah. He comes from music videos. And, like, I went and watched a few of them. I There weren't particular ones that st- stuck out to me, but he's worked with, like, Coolio and Prince... And, like, he was doing this in the early 90s. And this movie feels like someone who's going from, like, heightened music video reality towards naturalism. 
Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't feel like a documentary in any way, shape, or form. Like it's very stylized. Yeah, it feels the but, opposite of end of watch. Yeah. And like it works for me especially. And there's also um this director worked with John Woo, so like all the slow motion oh. pigeons, you know. <laughs> so okay, so that makes sense. So I wanna talk about really fast. Um so we have a section of final judgments, and I'm gonna pitch that this is the first movie we've done where there was there was never a question in my head of if this was still good. This was something I wanted to talk about because it's the movie oh, it's that aged. made an actor I respect Amazingly, want yeah. want to go into acting. Like that's the value in talking about this for me. I do want to ask if there's if there are anything in this movie that that you don't like that you wish wasn't there or that you think could be improved that that hasn't aged well or that I just never liked either. Huh. Um, honestly, like, I, I, <laughs> it's whenever I see fucking rappers in movies, like, it throws me off, and, like, it, right. it kept throwing me off, and it's literally something I hate, but also, um, you know, I, there, there, there truly is, is nothing, um, in the movie that I think I, I don't like, or that hasn't aged well for me, I think, I think it's a, I, I truly think it's a flawless movie, and there's a lot, there's a lot in like The Godfather and other movies that I think are timeless, like Goodfellas, that I was just like that didn't age well, but um, but this, there's something about this movie, it, you can tell it was shot in like the late '90s, 2000s. It just has that kind of look to it, even though it's still gorgeous, um, like Gavin was saying. But there's, I truly think there's nothing in the movie that I, I don't enjoy, that I don't think belongs there. I'm gonna really quickly just gang up on yeah. Doctor Dre is not great in this movie, and he's the only performance. He's that only in it for like two awful. minutes, though. Thankfully, <laughs> I know. I but know, but there's that, that, that way should, that, that should be an exhibit role. First that off, that way that because uh, <laughs> after Ethan Hawke punches him in the face in that one scene, and he's like, "I'm gonna get you for that." You did, like, motherfucker. He's why? Why, why is this? Top, yeah, <laughs> somebody that could have been better. But it's it's like this weird like undersold over the top like I don't know it's it's it an is interesting a bizarre performance <laughs> but it is in the movie so little that I I basically yeah. already no, forgot totally. it it doesn't bother me. so I, I I'm glad you brought up the music video background and the moments of style because there are two moments in this movie where I'm like this is too stylish for the movie it's in uh, the moment where they stop in traffic. Uh, and Denzel's like, no, I'm going to put a gun to your head and make you smoke these drugs. It's a great scene. It's oh, a great moment. It. It's the most powerful. Like, that is peak Denzel is in control. But when it happens, like, there's a swooping Tony Scott's type. Uh, like, I don't know if anyone's seen Unstoppable, but the whole movie is camera going from one side of the scene to the other. And, like, the dramatic, almost bad boys pull out of the gun. And it's all too, like, oh, suddenly it's a Michael Bay mo movie for a couple seconds. Like, that that shot seems like it's in another movie. And a similar thing happens in the scene, like, right as uh, Alonzo shoots Roger. Uh, the camera pushes in for, like, a hero line. It says, guess you gotta do it yourself, or whatever the line uh... actually is. And you just, like, everything's so revealed ahead of time and it's just like both of those just seemed like really flourishy obvious moments of filmmaking where i was just very aware of the director's touch i didn't yeah. like that but those I, are like I, the only two moments of the entire film that i'm like nah i i like those this movie has a lot of directorial flourish like it's a very pretty movie and it knows it there's a lot of you know again like he comes from music videos the dude 
especially at the time, music videos and like techno cranes were like a big deal. His cameras are flying all over the place and he knows he has that capability. That's his wheelhouse. Mm. And that is definitely where that comes from. I also love after Ethan Hawke does drugs. This is another thing that like the levity in Denzel, like the levity and the mix of levity and terror that like uh, Denzel inspires in his performance, like specifically after stopping in the middle of a four-way intersection and putting a gun to Ethan Hawke's head and making him smoke PCP that he's been told is weed. Um, Jesus moments Christ. later, when he's just like, I don't know you like to get wet. And then he's like, I, you, you made me do it. I, I've got a piss test. And he's like, don't worry. Like They gave us a 12-day heads up. You'll be fine. Also, it's not like I held a gun to your head. You're a big man. You're a big man. You did this yourself. And they both just <laughs> laugh. It's so frustrating. There are some of the logic throws in here. It's just like, that is so frustrating to be in that situation at any level of actual stake. Just people not taking responsibility. <laughs> uh, are you okay with me doing that section in, in lieu of final judgments? Because like, it does feel like a very obvious, is this still good? I don't know. Oh, I just want to, I want to, I want to get, I want to hear it. This movie's still great. Like this movie yeah. is good. There wasn't a doubt in my mind either, but this movie's still good. Yeah, I want to hear that chorus. Let's 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 let it. Let's give them. Let's give it the credit. Yeah, it's it's a must watch if if for someone who hasn't seen it or for someone who even wants to study acting. I I always it, there's there's this movie Raging Bull is also one of them. It's just like one of those movies that it just has exemplary acting. I mean, I, I don't sit, watch it more from a directorial point of view. I kind of do now just because I get it a little bit, but I, I still really don't. But it's just, it's it's you have to watch it. It's one of those movies. And unfortunately, a lot of people have not fucking seen it. Yeah, it's capital A acting, and uh, there's enough camera work to make Denzel's performance even better. Uh, yeah, mo movie's still good, guys. All right. Well, and I heard you itching to talk about it a moment ago too, Sage. I want to uh, steal um, a moment from another podcast. This is not my thing. There's a podcast I used to listen to a lot. I have no idea if they're still doing episodes of from uh, W. Kamel Bell and his friend whose name I've forgotten, Kevin Avery? Sure. Uh, called Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time, period. And every time they have a guest on, they ask him, what are your top five Denzel movies? And I asked you guys this ahead of time, so hopefully it's it's ready. Uh, Ed, do you have a top five Denzel movie? Yes. Uh, so obviously, Training Day is up there. Um, but after rewatching Malcolm X as an adult and like um, having more of an appreciation for Malcolm X, because when I first saw it, I just I I didn't really know who he was, didn't really have much of appreciation. But Malcolm X is probably one of my favorite. Um, I guess I would call him a civil rights activist, or just like a, a yeah, maybe I don't I don't. He, Malcolm X is weird, but um, I just because like he he just he went against the grain with a lot of things. Um, but his his overall arc as a person is just amazing. So after rewatching that and having more understanding of who Malcolm X was as a person and seeing it beautifully portrayed on camera, it's a it's a it's it's literally one A and one B between Training Day and Malcolm X. Um, but Man on Fire is absolutely up there. I think Man on Fire is an amazing Denzel movie with fucking dakota fanning like it, it was just it was just it was just really interesting you talk and about then, the scott glenn movie right he, yeah no yeah and, and uh denzel um he tried his best to redo it um <laughs> he did okay but he did enough for it to be in my top five i would i don't fuck i'm actually i'm actually at a standstill uh, in those three so i have to dig a little deep We'll name some more, and maybe it'll jog your mind. Yeah. You can, so, you so you guys take it away, and then I'll, I'll I'll fill in four and five. 
All right. Uh, yeah, I've got, I mean, Malcolm X and Training Day are going to be my top two. These aren't in any particular order except for those. I also have Man on Fire. I have Two Guns, which isn't a movie I'm particularly going to defend, but I think it's, I think it's wonderful and it's very fun. And Mark Wahlberg was also one of the people who was in talks to do uh, Training Day. Basically every other Every other role in this movie that uh, was considered for Ethan Hawke Rugged Blondie. Uh, doesn't necessarily fit, except I will say Christian Bale passed on it, and like that could have worked really well. Uh, so two guns, and then I'm going to round it out with Devil in a Blue Dress, which is the only Denzel movie I've seen where someone else gives a better performance than Denzel, who's perfect in the movie, but that's Don Cheadle's movie. He he just owns every scene he's in. No one else can chew the scene around Denzel. All right. Well, I'm I'm gonna put up. You know, I, I think that Training Day is my favorite Denzel Washington movie. Um, I have seen another Denzel Washington movie. It was uh, Inside Man. Uh, that was also great. And I know I've seen Remember the Titans. Remember that being pretty amazing. And I don't think I've seen five Denzel Washington movies. You gotta uh, fix all, that, bro. All the, those are the, the three that I've seen. <laughs> all great. I actually just saw this recently, too. It's 100% Philadelphia with Tom Hanks. He's amazing as Tom Hanks' lawyer in that. He's just, he's phenomenal. Have you guys seen um, Philadelphia? Yeah, I've, I, it's been a long I, time. I stand by my former comments of which usually means you could name or and Gavin will be like, oh yeah, I think I've seen that, <laughs> but that might not be the case so, this time. So, so let me just so so one A one B is is Training Day and and fucking Malcolm X, and then also Man on Fire. But Man on Fire, I think, comes at the end because Philadelphia is four and number three for Sage because Gavin has only seen three. Have you ever seen the movie John Q? Where he holds a hospital hostage just yeah. to get his son, uh, what is it, a heart transplant? That fucking movie is so underrated. That came out after, um, after training day. It's 2004. Um, yeah, talk about a fucking shift. And at the end too, when he gets arrested for finally, when he finally gets arrested and like his son is like just doing like the strongman pose because he's like into like bodybuilders and he just does it bad. Like just that interaction between him and this kid is, John Q is a fucking amazing movie. So Gavin, get on it. I will. I've got my homework. Yeah, there's a couple in there where, um, so John Q and I'll also put like Fences and Flight in these category are just like unbelievable Denzel performances, like acting powerhouses and just not movies I like as much as two guys. I saw Flight. <laughs> you saw Flight. There you go. Well, I've I guess that Flight. makes it into your top five. Flight was great. <laughs> yeah. See, I told you it would watch, happen. Watch He Got Game too. another Spike Lee movie. Oh, that'd be great. With, uh, uh, with, with Ray Allen, Jesus Shuttleworth. Oh, interesting. Sorry, I'm, I'm just remembering all these gems, and I'm like, oh, this one, yeah. this one, this one. There is. Like, I haven't seen, there's some of the 90s uh, Denzel Washington movies I haven't seen, and I guess some of the smaller 80 ones, like, before he broke out with Glory. Uh, but I think I've seen everything post-Training Day. Anyway, our final segment is called Reboot Time. We're reviving a canceled undercover police program from the 80s. Oh, it's not a remake, it's a reboot. You see, the guys in charge of this stuff lack creativity. What the fuck is a reboot? So all they do now is recycle shit from the past. We're working on less of a shriekle and, and more of a screaming. Expect us all not to notice. I like it. Another! 
Training Day did have a CBS spinoff for two seasons pretty recently with Bill Paxton. It wasn't a direct continuation. Oh, it was right. just kind of a more, I'm going to assume it's kind of generic because it's CBS. Uh, but it was Bill Paxton and a rookie with like a similar vibe and takes place in the same universe as the Alonzo character. But Fuqua's also been working on a prequel that would take place directly after the Rodney King riots with, I'm assuming, a different actor playing Alonzo because Denzel's oh, like 60 shit. now. Uh, so I guess my question is, are you in favor of a story like this and who would you cast? Yes, I am in favor of a story like this because I like things that aren't necessarily a continuation with the same actors. Like The Sopranos is uh, doing a, a prequel. I think it's called the the Latter Day Saints or some shit along that line. Or like Saints, the Saints of a of, Place, yeah. The Saints of uh, Newark. The Saints of Newark, I think that's what it's called. Um, but right. it's like uh, James Gandolfini's son is actually going to play a young um, – Tony Soprano. And, and so I always love prequels like that, especially like when they're done um, well. That's that's part of the reason why I like Godfather 2 so much. I don't necessarily like the Michael Corleone storyline, but I love that we get to see a young Vito Corleone coming into power. And so I think if I were to see that today, or if I were to see the prequel um, right after the Rodney King riots, honestly, his son could probably play him. Um, just because that's like a common theme. When, oh like, my God, that seems so obvious. Actor. Yeah, yeah, but I don't, I don't like John his son David as an Washington. actor too much. But like, maybe I don't know. I, there's no prominent. Maybe like a a Lakeith Stanfield. Lakeith that, is really, okay, really yeah. good. That was that was the answer I had. Oh, nice. Maybe Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick Boseman is actually a phenomenal actor, but now uh, he's Chadwick like, Boseman only plays T'Challa. real people though. So <laughs> that's right. He has like three uh, biopics. Oh, he's got, it's more than you think. Like, uh, really, I haven't seen a lot of them. Well, he's got the Jackie Robinson biopic. He's got Chadwick Boseman. The Chadwick Boseman biopic. <laughs> James Brown. Uh, Marshall. Uh, there's a couple others. I I want to say he's done at least five biopics. It's it's a little overwhelming. He's got it down. Um, he plays down T'Challa, the real character. <laughs> yeah. uh, Gavin, do you have uh, thoughts on Training Day prequel? I mean, I don't know how I feel about a prequel. Like, that could be cool. It sounds a little unnecessary to me, which, I mean, again, that's the I remakes mean, aren't about being essential. But, like, I definitely, I'd actually almost prefer to see a remake and just to see ooh. how the conversation around uh, police work has changed, especially, um, like, that's what I'd like to see. I'm highly uh, opposed to a remake. I, I, I Are you get saying that, that like, like without even suggesting that it would be good, but like it would be very interesting? Yeah, that's that's the main thing. Is like, and I I'd take it more. It's like I'd hope they'd change it quite a bit. Like I wouldn't want to like this movie's perfect. Like they don't need to change. They need to change a lot to make it worthwhile. So I'd want to see something that actually takes into account like the current conflict or like the current state of things with like the police department and you know like we still have a shit ton of corruption, like not even just, just like the obvious um, lack of restraint and killing, you know, people without putting them through the um, litigation system. Yeah. Like if you look at like the Oakland police department, they had to like fire everybody like four years ago, I think. Wow. Because of just all the like, ra- shit. and just rampant covering up for other cops and like, uh, sleeping with prisoners yeah it, i saw that it is bad like and i i would like to see something that 
tries to take into account a little bit more of that. It's still very entertaining. Um, but like, I just think it'd be an interesting challenge and then just capitalize on the name. Cause training day is a great name. I'd be interesting, interested in seeing maybe Ethan Hawke's character today in the climate and just like having like yeah. the flashbacks to like the, the, the corruption of Alonzo and like maybe having spent his entire career from that point to this point, like trying to fight it. And then again, coming across it, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I, I would love Ethan, to check in Ethan with Hawk. that character, especially with the same actor. He's not a cop today. Like that's what I'm gonna say. Like he didn't make it. Like oh, he, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. you know, he transferred to another city or something. Like I feel like he could be a to cop Oakland. elsewhere. Oh Jesus. Um, <laughs> but like no, uh that uh Ethan Ethan Hawk hyphen Hoyt is not a cop in the LAPD in twenty twenty. Well we did it. <laughs> we did it. What we do? Oh, we got we got closer to a tight ninety. This is like where I, where I wanted to be. Uh, Ed, you got anything to plug? Uh, I'll plug this podcast, the Free Lunch for Actors podcast. Uh, go check it out, and also go check out Freshman Year on Netflix, and uh, be on the lookout for the alternate. Uh, also, be on the lookout for uh, To Tell the Truth, which is a game show on CBS, which I just happen to be on randomly. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, those are the things I want to plug. Uh, but thanks for having me on, guys. This was hella fun. I, yeah, I, I just, I'm gonna watch the fucking movie again. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, I've been, I've been looking forward to this one especially. Okay, good. And I'm gonna go check out Man on Fire and John Q. <laughs> John Q's fucking amazing. And John Q. I'll, I'll give you like 20 Denzel movies to watch after this, Gavin. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sounds good. All right, I've been Gavin V. Murray on most social networking dealies, and uh, you should check out this podcast. Uh, is this still good? You can find it most places. I mean, you, you found it. <laughs> is Proud of you. You're already ahead of the game. I always make. I am at, at Hold for Plane on various things, but like, really what you're listening to is the only thing I have to plug until... Uh, until we open up a little bit more, because this podcast is done in the midst of quarantine and a very hot July day in Los Angeles. Uh, until until some of those things change, this is what I do. And thank you for coming along. Yeah, and we'll leave you with the one question. Are you going to be a sheep or a wolf? <laughs> ah. To protect the sheep, you got to catch the wolf. And it takes a wolf to catch a wolf. <laughs> Now you say one of Ethan Hawke's lines. No one knows his part.